This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for June 12, 2020. Dropbox uses zero-knowledge encryption, Apple improves password entry and keychain, Zoom complies with a shutdown request from China, and WWDC is in a couple of weeks. Speculation about what's to come includes Apple transitioning to its own ARM-based chips for Macs in the future. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Hey, Josh, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm okay. You know, just before the show, we were talking about smart appliances, and that reminded me about an article in The Guardian this week saying smart appliances may not be worth money in the long run warns which question mark, which question mark is like the consumer reports of the UK. And so the reason this comes up is that just before the show, you had to go change your thermostat to turn the air conditioning off so you didn't get the background noise on the recording. And we were trying to figure out, well, could you do this with Siri? No, but Alexa, you could do it. And maybe you could use IFTTT to like send an email or do something. Yeah. Oh, all these smart devices. What a what a crazy world we live in now where you can have smart refrigerators and dishwashers and all these strange things. Well, but see, that's the smart appliances they're talking about. Yeah. So I've got some Philips Hue light bulbs in my office. They do one thing. They go on and they go off, right? They put light out. But if you have a refrigerator that has a web browser that's going to order up when you're low on milk from your supermarket. And if it doesn't get a software update, it's going to display a 404. And do you really want a refrigerator that's or like a Windows blue screen of death or something? It seems to me that the two problems, the first being that you'll lose the added functionality, but also if you're not getting software updates anymore, you may even lose the basic functionality in some of these devices. Yeah. One of the things that I am sometimes uh, concerned about when thinking about smart devices like this is, okay, first of all, when before I buy a device like this, if it's going to be connected to the internet, especially, then I want to make sure that uh, the company has stated how long they're going to be releasing software updates for this. And also, is that company likely to be around as long as they claim that they're going to be releasing software updates? Um, If I can't find that information, and it's uh, especially if it's a fairly expensive thing to purchase, I am a lot less likely to actually buy a product like that because I don't want to spend a lot of money and then have this company go under in two years and now I've got to start all over again and buy some new thing to replace it. Appliance salespeople must love you, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's the same thing with cars now, right? Okay, you can count on a car perhaps lasting. There's two types of people in the world, right? The one type that I've become recently is leasing cars, and then after three years, you change. And that's good because you've got the new technology. But the other type will buy a car and keep it for 10 or 15 years or hand it down. What happens if your car that has some sort of connected software can't get updates after 10 years or 15 years or You know, we talked about the Sonos update recently, right? That some of the old products could no longer get updates. Maybe there's not enough memory or the CPU in the car isn't fast enough for them to keep updating it. To a certain degree, I think that kind of is a little bit of an excuse if they claim those kind of things, because come on, you can write your code more efficiently. You can do, you know, something to make it work. Um, Yeah, well, honestly, I mean, 
although it's not an IoT device, I, I do even think about this kind of thing when I'm thinking about buying a smartphone. For example, if I, uh, you know, f- want to get an older model iPhone for my kids to use or something, maybe I don't want to buy the brand new, you know, expensive phone because I'm worried they might drop it or lose it or something. So maybe I want to get an older model iPhone. Well, I've got to think carefully about, you know, how many years that particular device is going to be supported um, based and, and all I can base it on in the case of Apple devices is what they have been doing in recent years. Because again, Apple is one of those companies that doesn't say we're going to support this device for X number of years from the day we release it. And so, um, you know, anytime that you buy any electronics now, whether it's an, an IOT internet of things device or not, you do have to keep this in mind, especially if it's something that's going to be connected to the internet, because you need those security updates in order to be safe, especially if it's a device that you're going to be browsing the web with, or, uh, is going to be accessible from the internet. Maybe it's a device that opens up ports or tries to open up ports on your local network so that something can reach through your router to get to talk to it directly. If it's doing stuff like that, then you need it to be getting updates or it's going to become a huge liability for you at some point. And pretty much every electronic product these days is doing something like that. Obviously, TVs, if you have any kind of smart speaker, we mentioned Sonos or the HomePod. I'm just looking around in my office. You know, I've got computing devices, but there are so many other things that that we're getting dependent on. And on the one hand, we're getting dependent on something that can break because the internet doesn't work, but we're getting dependent on something that has a different level of obsolescence than in the past. Yes. Ah, yes. And then, of course, there's forced obsolescence too, which is another issue where a device manufacturer will will specifically say, and and I know, I was just kind of saying this is kind of a good thing, right? For a device manufacturer to tell you how many years they're going to support it. But other people argue, well, that's bad because that's forced obsolescence because now they're determining in advance that your device is only going to work for X number of years. So it's kind of, uh, it's one of those things that you're kind of darned if you do and if you don't. So... Well, I don't know about you, but I hesitate to buy things other than, you know, stuff I need for my work these days. I was looking at TVs because I use a Sonos uh, Beam soundbar and I really like it. And Sonos came out with a new soundbar, the Sonos Arc. Um, It uses Dolby Atmos. My TV doesn't have Dolby Atmos. I'm thinking, well, do I want to get a new TV? I mean, it's four years old. It's fine. I don't really need a new TV. But the thought of like, the TV spy on you so much more now than they did before and that it's so complicated and TVs are complicated anyway, knowing what features they have. And it's making me more hesitant about buying a new TV, actually. Yeah. By the way, I need a new TV. I think mine's about 14 years old. So, <laughs> Well, that's good for you. Yeah. So I bought one when we moved to this house about four years ago. Um, I've got a 65-inch 4K TV. Interestingly, we rarely see anything in 4K because it was only last year that we got fiber to the property and we could even watch 4K. Ah. But I bought it to be forward compatible. But even then, we don't pay for Netflix in 4K. Um, we get some 4K on Amazon and when we rent movies from iTunes. Anyway, let's move on because th- there's a story that came in and, uh, and when I sent you an email about this, I said, you got to explain this because I don't get it. 9to5Mac is reporting Dropbox password manager here, but invite only. So Dropbox is um, releasing a new password manager and it uses zero knowledge encryption. And I just had this itch that I want to hear Josh explain what zero knowledge encryption is. 
Yeah, this is kind of a, a clever technology. And uh, the way that they describe this as far as what Dropbox is doing with zero-knowledge encryption, they say that this means that you can log into Dropbox without the server knowing your login password. And they say you don't use your actual password to log in. Instead, the server asks the app to perform a series of mathematical calculations which use your password as one of the elements and then provide the answers to the server. So basically, it's sort of a way for you to prove who you are to the server without ever having to have that server know or get the password from you directly. Um, Kind of clever. Um, And this reminded me of something uh, that we've we've mentioned before, this idea of uh, this squirrel platform, SQRL, um, that uh, hasn't really been widely adopted yet, but it's a public domain zero knowledge proof based system. And um, one of the ideas behind this is that um, basically a website sort of like proves who they are to you rather than it being so much the other way around. Um, and, and it also uses this zero knowledge idea where, where you don't, you're not actually providing a password to the site, which is kind of clever. Um, and we, we haven't seen this adopted too much yet, but it is one of those interesting ways that we can, you know, maybe do better about like not having people store passwords or hashes of our passwords necessarily. We're getting to the point, I think, where we're starting to see systems developed that are a little smarter in the way that they think about passwords and authentication, how people log into a website or prove their identity. Um, So for next week's episode, I want you to recommend a book that I can read that'll help me understand encryption. Not not the mathematical um, coding part, but the concepts behind it. In other password information, Apple has released a new open source password manager resources project for developers. And this is interesting. You know, you go to a website sometimes and your password has to have one capital letter, one special character, um, one digit, etc., So if you're using uh, the iCloud Keychain Password Manager in Safari, so this could be Safari on the Mac or on iOS, you can have it enter a strong password. But sometimes that strong password won't contain the necessary characters. So Apple's creating a system so website developers can indicate the special password rules that they need, so which kinds of characters, but also that websites use the same credential backend. And there are a couple examples. It could be um, Amazon, where your Amazon account is good in the US, the UK, France, Japan, etc. Or it could be, for example, Facebook and Instagram that are run by the same company. Um, and this will allow these credentials to be grouped together. Uh, I mentioned before the show that uh, I've said many times I use one password and I looked and I have 54 entries for Amazon for the various different Amazon countries plus subdomains on Amazon. And you pointed out that you can add these different URLs and domains, but you have to do it manually in a single entry. And it's, it's a pretty time consuming thing. So if the iCloud keychain password manager could do that automatically because the website has told them what goes together. I think that would be quite practical. I think the idea with this open source, you know, password manager resources that Apple has put up uh, for developers is 
They're trying to make this easier on developers who make third-party password manager apps to be able to to function with some of that same technology. And I, I like the idea behind this. To if if it simplifies password management, um, you know, that's always a great thing, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's an open source program, which is useful. Okay, so there's interesting news, and we don't want to go into this too much detail. Um, Daring Fireball linked to an article, What It's Like to Get Doxxed for Taking a Bike Ride. Very briefly, there was uh, a film that was shared on social media of a few teenagers who were putting up some posters for Black Lives Matters protest, and some sort of middle-aged white guy got angry and tore the, the, the posters down and threatened them. And it turned out that a number of Amateur Twitter detectives uh, tried to find out who this was, and they found a couple of people. And one of the people was surprised that he had been using the Strava app to record his bike rides and that that information was public, which is how people found him. Without going into the essential elements of this story of what's legal and what's not, I think the point here is that any of these apps that you use to record your location, particularly if you're running or jogging, make sure that this data is not public. Right. Sometimes these apps will, by default, share some information to the public. So you have to be very careful to make sure that nothing like that is going on because that could be a threat to your personal privacy or security. And in this case, um, you know, there were some, I guess, well-meaning people who decided that uh, they would find out who this guy was. And, uh, well, they made a couple of mistakes along the way and they, they ended up, um, doxing, which means like publishing a personal information about the wrong people a couple of times. And then of course the wrath of the internet now is focused on those people, unfortunately. Um, so this, uh, the other takeaway I would say from this takeaway, number one, be very careful about anything that might be sharing your location publicly. Make sure you turn off anything like that. And number two is don't dox people. Don't try to investigate who somebody is and publish all their information on the internet um, because you might be wrong and you you might be uh, exposing some innocent person's information online uh, to people who might um, treat that person badly. Okay, very quickly before the break, the privacy browser Brave was busted uh, Got to appreciate the alliteration there. Privacy browser Brave busted for auto-completing URLs to versions it profits from. Essentially, Brave, and this is the browser you like to use, or one of the browsers you like to use, um, was adding sort of affiliate links to certain URLs. And of course, this has to do with cryptocurrency, which is already um, pretty sleazy to start with. But they weren't really telling people, and this kind of raised a few hackles. Yeah. So I would say this is not necessarily a privacy issue, but because it's a privacy focused browser, that's what kind of got people really upset that something was going on without being explicitly declared to users of the browser. So if specifically um, a couple of people had discovered that if they went to uh, a website, Binance.us or Binance.com in Brave, if they, if they just type that into their browser address bar, then it would automatically add on a little affiliate link bit to the end of, of the, the address, which basically meant that Brave now got to earn a little bit of money as though they referred you to that site, even if they really didn't. And so people kind of got upset about that. Um, my 
my personal thought, my first reaction to this is, yeah, it's, it's a little sleazy if they're not really telling you that they're doing this. But at the same time, this is a free browser, right? That um, it does not have a big market share. They're trying to make money in any way that they can to support their operations. So I would not, I'm not terribly surprised about something like this happening. But yeah, they should have disclosed it. They should have made it very clear. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the rumor that Apple is going to switch to ARM processors on Macs. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code PODCAST20 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST20 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, very quickly, this week's Zoom Zingers. Zoom closed the account of a U.S.-based Chinese activist to comply with local law, local law in China. Now, Zoom.us is a U.S. video conferencing company, as the article we linked to in Axio says. Um, but it was founded by a Chinese person. It's technically a Chinese company that's kind of squatting in the U.S. being listed on the NASDAQ. Um, now, the problem is here that in order to uh, do what the Chinese wanted, they deleted the account of someone who was not even in China. And this is a bit problematic. If you're assuming that you have some possibility of freedom of speech in one country, but the company that you're using deletes your account because you don't have freedom of speech in another country that there's like, there's a Venn diagram of freedoms here. That's a little confusing. Yeah. It is sort of strange that a government of one country could request that zoom a apparently U S based company delete somebody's account. Um, but apparently they did. So um, I guess that's good to be aware of <laughs> that uh, if you are saying something that may not be acceptable free speech in another country, and uh, you're especially if you're being very vocal and public about it, um, that other country might try to get your account shut down. It may happen on services other than Zoom, too. But of course, we have to mention it because we've been mentioning Zoom a lot lately with our Zoom zingers. Yeah, we're not picking on Zoom specifically. It's just that we pick on Zoom often, so <laughs> they're pickable these days. But you know what's happened? We don't pick on Facebook much anymore because Zoom has become so much of a, <laughs> a pick-onable company. <laughs> we'll have to find something about Facebook for next week. All right. 
So for our main topic this week, the WWDC, the Worldwide Developer Conference, is in a couple of weeks. What's the date? I'm looking on my calendar. The 22nd of June is going to be the big keynote. And this year, instead of in that big theater with all the people applauding, it's going to be... We don't know what it's going to be. Is it going to be individual sessions from each person presenting? Are they going to be in a theater with um, socially distant people? I, I think I said a few weeks ago it would be great if they had some actual professional filmmaker come in and build a film around this whole presentation. Go to different places in the Apple headquarters to show the new products. So Bloomberg is reporting that at the WWDC, Apple is going to announce that they're going to use their own processors in Macs. Now, currently, Apple designs and builds the processors for iOS devices, Apple TV, Apple Watch, HomePod, AirPods, all those things. Pretty sure that they do all of that. Um, but the Macs still run on Intel processors. And if you've heard the term ARM-based processors before, this is a, what would you call it, an architecture of processors, which is how Apple's processors work. Um, this would be a big deal. So we want to discuss what this would mean to you as a Mac user. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways that you could approach this. But um, first of all, I should say that Apple's done this before. This is not Apple's first rodeo with uh, changing processor architectures if it turns out that they actually are planning on doing this. And there actually there have been rumors about this for probably a couple of years, I would say, that Apple might be transitioning away from Intel. I think since they've gotten so good at making really good processors for, for portable devices, one of the advantages of ARM-based processors is that they use less power. So that means that your iPhone has better battery life, your iPad lasts longer as well. Right. Also, uh, one of the reasons, I, I mean, this is just one of many reasons why Apple might be considering switching away from Intel. Um, Intel chips have had a lot of vulnerabilities that have been discovered over the past couple of years. Starting with the meltdown inspector vulnerabilities that were discovered in 2017 and kind of came to light at the beginning of 2018. Uh, and there have been a whole series of vulnerabilities related to speculative execution, many of which have to do with Intel processors or that may not be as big of a problem on other architectures. Um, so, there's security issues. That's one thing. I think a bigger issue for Apple is probably more supply chain related. They probably would prefer to have a lot more control over the availability of processors and things like that, not have to rely on other companies. Right, because there have been times where Apple's been sort of hindered by Intel not having new processors, particularly for laptops, and they've had to delay new models until Intel came out with new processors. And remember, this is probably particularly meaningful to Tim Cook, who is Apple CEO, who's formerly Apple COO. He focused on the operations of the company, including supply chain and things like that. So this is something that Tim Cook probably thinks a lot about. And uh, so the uh, ability for Apple to entirely make their own processors and have whatever companies they want uh, producing those processors for them gives them a lot more flexibility than being tied down to an Intel architecture. There are some drawbacks too. I mean, certainly one of the things that people have relied on for years is this uh, cross-platform compatibility of having Intel processors because, you know, you've got uh, Windows software that can easily run on a Mac. You don't have to 
have emulation going on like we did way back in the power PC days when people uh, would have to have a virtual PC application in order to run Windows software. And it ran very slowly. You don't have to worry about that so much right now. But if you're not running Windows apps on your Mac, why not switch processor architectures? Well, there are a lot of variables here. First, I just want to let you know that um, ARM, you may not know, was originally a British company. And it's actually one of the big failures of British business that they were um, sold to a Japanese company. They're now owned by SoftBank, which is a big group of tech companies. Um, but the things that we need to consider now, we've been through, you said it's not the first rodeo. Um, I've been through this twice. I don't know if you remember the first one that was from the Motorola 68,000 chips to PowerPC, and then the later one was from PowerPC to Intel. Um, before the show, we were looking up at the history of this, and I didn't realize that System 7 lasted for so long. The, the first version of System 7 that came out for PowerPC was 7.1.2. This is in 1993. The original System 7 came out in 91, and the last version of System 7 was 97. So it was six years before they changed a major version number. Then they went from PowerPC to Intel, and that was what, Mac OS 8.5. And then, of course, they went from uh, Mac OS Normal to Mac OS 10. So there have been several big changes. Now, in each one of these changes previously, there were emulators. And an emulator, you're probably familiar with emulators if you've used VMware Fusion or Parallels to run Windows on your Mac. Or you may have a game emulator. Um, people download old ROMs from is it Game Boys and things like right. that so they can play them on their devices. Basically, what it does is it translates code from one type of code to another. The way these processors work is that they have very low-level commands that are slightly different, so the code has to be translated at different levels. I don't remember too well the first change, the 68,000 to PowerPC, but I remember under PowerPC to Intel, there was an emulator that was available for several years that worked fairly well. Um, There were some apps that were slow, but it wasn't Looking back now, it wasn't that big a deal. Right. The last major transition like this was in, uh, I believe, 2006 is when Apple decided uh, and announced that they were going to be switching to the Intel architecture. And uh, over the course of that year, they they uh, basically made that happen. And it was pretty impressive, really. Um, Rosetta was a technology that they had that allowed for PowerPC applications. So if you had apps that were written and designed for a G3 or G4 or G5 processor, those apps would continue to run on an Intel processor, on a Mac that had an Intel processor. Um, So if you bought a new Mac, you would generally be able to still use your old apps for a couple of years, at least until the developer had made a new version that was designed to run on Intel. I seem to remember that given that the Intel processors were a lot more efficient and faster, that you didn't really notice the difference in the translation, that, that the overall speed of the Intel processor compensated for the loss in speed in the emulation. Yeah, for the most part, Rosetta apps actually ran pretty well. Um, and of course, Apple decided at some point they had to cut that off. And, and if you hadn't updated your app, then that was it. And so presumably if Apple does make this switch to ARM, they'll probably do something very similar this time around, um, where they'll probably have some sort of 
background thing you don't need to worry about. Your old apps will continue to run, at least for the foreseeable future. And then at some point, they'll probably cut it off again. Um, so this is going to be, if again, if there was, this rumor turns out to be true and Apple really is ready to launch ARM-based Macs or announce when that's going to happen, um, then we'll definitely see a little bit of uh, complaining from a lot of developers because this is going to be kind of a pain probably for them to have to rewrite some of their apps. Um, but, uh, but ultimately it probably will be a good thing for Apple to move everything to the same processor architecture. If you're an app developer, you just have to assume that things are going to change, that you're going to have to change language at some point. If you're doing it long enough that you're going to have to change your platform slightly, that things are going to have to change no matter what. Um, before the show, we were reminiscing going back in time, trying to remember some of these other changes and, what we kind of came up with was that, yes, there were issues, but they're all footnotes. And and when this is happening to you at the time, you're going to think, oh, wow, this is such a big deal. And it could be because you've got that one app that you've been using for 10 years, but the developer's not going to update it. So you've got to keep an old Mac, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but in the long-term scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. I mean, things will get better. Now, there have been a number of developers who've been thinking about, oh, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be a disaster. They're only going to run Catalyst apps because Catalyst apps are the ones that can run on the Mac, on iOS, on Apple TV. Um, and you can see them today, the news app, the stocks app, et cetera. That's not going to happen. There are too many apps that are too big, things like Final Cut Pro and like um, Logic Pro, you know, pro apps. I don't think any of these things are going to have to be dumbed down like that. Now, the, the first thing to point out is that if they announce this in two weeks, this is not going to be, and by the way, in the fall, there's going to be a new Mac with an ARM-based chip because, well, software is not going to be ready. They're giving developers at least a year warning, if not more. Also, I don't think Apple's going to switch all of their Macs to ARM-based chips immediately. Um, I said earlier, the big advantage to ARM-based processors is they use less power. So ideal for a laptop where you've got a battery. If you've got an iMac or a Mac Pro, it's not that big a deal. So this is probably going to be progressive, starting with the consumer-level laptops, maybe going to the Mac Pro later before it gets to the desktop. Yeah, uh, definitely they would start this with consumer devices. That makes the most sense um, because the pros are the ones who are more likely to be using apps like Logic that uh, are going to be more complicated to prepare to migrate to that newer architecture. So, um, but for consumers, uh, you know, I mean, if you're mostly using a web browser and, you know, a mail app and not a whole lot other than the Apple stock apps, then it's not going to be a big deal at all. And you really probably won't notice any difference, um, you know, moving from one Mac to another if you're a typical consumer. Now, one thing that I want to point out, um, Mac Rumors had an article that there's going to be a new iMac with what they call iPad Pro design language. Apparently, this is a, a, a leak that seems pretty reliable. And they have a mock-up of what it would look like. And so here's the thing. My current iMac is two years and three months old, and it's getting to the point where maybe it's time to upgrade it. And when I bought this Mac, I downgraded from a 27-inch because I didn't want such a big computer on my desk. I've got a 21.5. 
But he's got these huge black bezels that are, what, about an inch and a half and this big chin that's like three inches in the bottom. Imagine if an iMac was like the Mac Pro with the tiny bezels around it. I could go back to a 27, probably in the same space that this one takes up. So I'm down for that. All right. Well, we'll see. And we've only got a couple weeks until WWDC. So I, I'm I'm definitely interested to see whether any of these rumors turn out to be true. The ARM-based thing, that would be a pretty big shift. But again, not something that Apple hasn't dealt with before. Um, they've been through a lot of big transitions like this. And really, honestly, I thought the Intel transition went surprisingly well, considering what a major architectural shift that was. Um, so Apple can pull it off. They've done it before. I'm sure at the time there were hundreds of stories about all the problems going on. But oh, yeah. as I said earlier, it's a footnote. We don't remember them now. Now, your business might have been affected. You might have had that one app that wasn't updated, but things will get better. Just one more thing to point out that if they do come up with a new iMac, they're offering 24-month 0% interest financing, both in the U.S. and the U.K., and I don't know about other countries. Um, that's new. And, of course, the current economic situation, Apple knows not a lot of people are going to be buying computers easily. Um, so being able to buy a new iMac over 24 months with no interest, that's a pretty good deal. So Definitely. I'll let you know in a couple of weeks if I'm going to get one. All right. Sounds good, Kirk. Okay, Josh. Until next week, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>